Hey everybody. Today, Picard gets wild with a personal relaxation light. Riker attempts to fake it till he makes it with Minuet, and we ask the question, how far is too far on the holodeck? The answer to all that and more, come on. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, we have come to this ridiculously good episode, season one, episode 14, entitled mm-hmm. 11001001. Um, I'm going to explain what that even means. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do, this episode was written by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin and directed by Paul Lynch, who also directed The Naked Now. Hmm. And this um, in this episode, the star date is 41365.9. I got to stop you there. I got to stop you. That star date has a 0.9. Now, yes, you're right. <laughs> and I think episode one or two, we talked to, of our podcast, we talked about how the star date means absolutely nothing. But we did talk about how the point whatever is the day of the week. Yeah. So it should only go up to 0.7. So it should only go up to 0.7 if we're doing earthen days. And this <laughs> brings me back to my concern about how we are quantifying time when we have different star systems and different days and different lengths. What is going on with the show? Okay, sorry. Right. That's, that's just my rant about how the star dates are just so silly and you're, awesome. You're right. You're right. They are awesome and dumb at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so please continue. Um, but you're right. There is an episode in season one and we've already done our review for it. Mm-hmm. But the star date was like four something, 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 0.25. And it's Ooh. like, what the hell is that now? <laughs> is that halfway through day two? Is that, yeah, it was like, is that halfway to, through day two? Is it, uh, okay. Consistency, consistency, people. God. What if they kept that up for all the other Star Trek universes? <laughs> like if it's always just gibberish, I bet you it is. <laughs> because why would anybody hire an intern to spend hours trying to figure out, no, 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 you just keep on bullshitting. Just keep the bullshit machine going, whatever. All right, so, um, okay, so this episode is entitled 11001001. And we're dealing with this new alien race called the Binars. And they use binary code and they happen to like travel in pairs at all times. And we learn fairly early on in the episode Um, You have two pairs of binars running around the ship doing stuff that we'll talk about. And one of them is, one of them's name is one, one. And that binars partner's name is zero. zero. I think it's one zero. And the other ones is zero one. No, there's two. So there's two, there's four binars. Uh So one is one zero and its partner's name is zero one. Uh And then the other one that like secondary kind of binar, it's one, one. And that partner's name is zero, zero. Wait a minute. How'd you even know that? When did they introduce the other two people? They, they just were there. I don't remember them saying their names. You know what? They, they did not say their names, but I did a deep dive and learned uh-huh. that, that the writers put that in. I was like, oh my That's God. Clever. Yeah. One, one, zero, zero, our pair and one, zero, zero, one, our pair. Yeah. I feel like I've said enough ones and zeros that I don't want to say it ever again. <laughs> that sounds fair. <laughs> that sounds fair. And the reason why that code's important is because that code comes up later on in the episode. But what struck me is I was so certain that the secret special code was going to be Minuet. I was so certain. I was like, oh, it's a name. It's obvious. Like, it's the most obvious thing in the world. And then they were like, well, it's definitely 11001001. I was like, wait, what? 
<laughs> okay, so now I'm feeling like an idiot because you're like, it's so obvious. I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> obvious and it was completely wrong. I mean, the ship would have been destroyed if it was up to me. But anywho. Yeah, I hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, th- that was their names. 1100 and then 1001. All right. So here's the plot. We're back to the big drawn out plot. <laughs> because you said you liked it better than the short ones, so I really loved it. But if you want to do short ones, it is all up to you. Listen, Sharice, I- give me a yarn to spin, and I'll spin it. Okay, like <laughs> I'm happy to Deal. just blabber on endlessly. All right, so the Enterprise arrives at Starbase 74 for a routine maintenance check. The Starbase commander brings aboard two pairs of aliens known as Binars, who rely heavily on their computer technology and work in pairs for best efficiency. Much of the crew takes shore leave while Picard, Riker, and a couple of others remain aboard. Riker is intrigued by the Binar's claimed upgrades to the holodeck and starts a program in a jazz bar. The program includes a beautiful woman named Minuet, by whom Riker is fascinated. Meanwhile, though, the Binars discreetly create a catastrophic failure in the ship's warp core. They set the ship to leave the starbase and warp to a safe location before it would explode. But once they're clear of the dock, the failure magically disappears and the ship sets course for the Binar's home star system. So they just took the Federation flagship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by the way, when they triggered that warp core breach or whatever they triggered to potentially happen, everyone was forced to abandon ship except for Picard and Riker who were trapped in the holodeck, not mm-hmm. knowing they were trapped. They were just mm-hmm. being entertained and they were conveniently being kept out of the loop and like the communications weren't working. They didn't hear the, yep. any of the sounds. And so when the ship leaves, it's almost completely empty with the yes. exception of the four binars and the captain and first officer. Yes. This episode is like widely hailed. And I agree. Widely hailed is one of the best episodes of season one. It has everything. It's mm-hmm. got a holodeck. Mm-hmm. It's got a new alien race that isn't a joke like the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. Or super it's, racist like the Ferengi. Right? <laughs> Ugh, totally. Right? There's there's no like overt racist ideas that went into creating the binars. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it's, it's a... it's Breath a, of fresh air. Thank you that mm-hmm. you took the words right out of my mouth. Okay, there's also imminent danger to the ship exploding. Mm-hmm. You abandoned ship. You've got a skeleton crew, so everybody's kind of on shore leave or like... yeah. More or less like playing. Mm-hmm. It's I love this. And another thing, another thing that's amazing. I totally agree with you. And another thing that's great about this episode is it is one plot. We don't have the subplot that's yes. totally confusing and ridiculous and has nothing to do with yes. it. We do still have mortal danger here, but it's involved in the one plot. And we actually don't know what the danger is, which makes it really interesting. And we're mm-hmm. like, but what is it? But what's going on? But what why did they take the ship? And you know, it keeps us asking questions. We don't have this random, you know, like snake and dog race in the background trying to murder each other yeah. <laughs> this random you know planet dying from a virus and we have to do foxy boxing in order to get the vaccine but without the fight we can't get the back like we don't have any of these weird you know stuff going on on the outside yes. so i think mentally this again to me is like the opposite of encounter at farpoint where you're just like what is going on this this plot right here is nice and clean a straight line any brain could follow it Yes. I really liked I liked it for that reason. You know, you're right. We talked last week when we tore apart Angel One. Um, that viruses are just the most used plot and subplot in season one. Mm-hmm. And maybe later. I don't know. We haven't gotten there. But this is so refreshing to not have it, I, I I feel sad saying this, but it's refreshing to not have a super racist 
like alien race mm-hmm. um, or an alien race based on like racist ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no freaking virus running rampant. Finally, yeah. yes. finally, it's yeah. really nice to have that. So a couple of things, this episode actually won an Emmy award for outstanding sound editing. That's neat. Which, which I was like, cool. I, I had no idea. Um, did you notice that counselor Troy was absent in this episode? Again, I didn't notice. Yep. She was straight up just written out of this one. I didn't even notice until the end where I was like, huh? Oh, oh, yeah. She's not anywhere. Wow. Nope. I didn't even notice. Man, Marina Sirtis got the fuzzy end of the lollipop on that <laughs> one. Because she just straight up got like, it's like, no, you don't need to come in today. <laughs> like what? So yeah, she, she got written out of this episode, but remember we talked about it in, in detail that she was basically being written out of the season mm-hmm. and then ended up not being written out. Thankfully, so the- we, we end up keeping counselor Troy for all seven seasons for those of you who might be concerned and maybe watching for the first time along with us. But in season one, we pretty much agree that she's totally useless. Yeah. So yeah. thankfully when she finally gets her foot in the door and they decide not to get rid of her, they start giving her things to do in the episodes that actually make sense. They start giving her things to do on the bridge, things to do on the ship that make her a more well-rounded person. But at this point she's yeah. so useless that if that she can be totally gone from an episode and I didn't even we notice. We didn't even notice. Yeah, she becomes infinitely better um, as the seasons progress. So we have this alien race, the Binars. Um, and Riker, I don't know if you noticed, but he he keeps calling them gentlemen. Um, even though they're saying, you know, Commander Quinteros of Starbase 74. I think he only did said, that once, though. Mm, he, he, did it a, he did it a couple of times. I noticed he did it when he first met them. And mm-hmm. then he did it when they, and I'm jumping way far ahead, when they created like- At the holodeck? Yes, and he was like, gentlemen, this is what I call sexy or something oh, like that. Oh, interesting. Um, and, so he, did, he and didn't listen that first time is what you're saying. He totally didn't listen <laughs> when they told him, like, the binars are neither male nor female. Mm-hmm. They they just work in pairs. They're, like, asexual, basically. So he keeps calling them gentlemen, which behind the scenes information um, was, to me, bothersome because the binars are played by four young women mm-hmm. actors. Mm-hmm. They wanted to try to use children. Right, because um, they're so tiny. They're so like yes. diminutive. Yes, they're they're much much smaller than everybody else. So they use like four like young wimp female actresses who were like just barely eighteen and just looked really young. And and of course they did a ton of prosthetics, but they wanted to have children um, fill that role. But that was going to be way too difficult because child actors have to stick to like very limited hours by mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. And and when you have children. Um, actors, you have to have like teachers and tutors and a whole bunch of stuff so they could basically do school like on they like homeschool on set. Mm-hmm. Um, which as a kid, I wanted to be an actor and I was like, oh, that looks so cool. I want to be on, you know, I wanted to be like on the screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, I looking back, it's like, good God, no. Like, yeah, I don't think it it's has, that fun. No, it's not that fun. And and like, you have to still do school. Like, of between course, you still have to learn. <laughs> yeah, it's like the teachers are like, eh, we're still back to like, you know, geometry or something and you're like oh great yeah but in costume which is like uncomfortable anyway all right so let's open the episode they arrive at starbase 74 and we see that like glorious sweeping view of the enterprise like coming into like Mm -hmm. the starbase and the music is swelling Mm -hmm. and it's it's like harps and violet Uh, it's beautiful it's beautiful i love it the shot of that starbase was actually reused from a star trek movie the search for spock Oh, that's neat. Yeah. So they're really like reusing a bunch of stuff. You know, remember they used the Stargazer set as well from another Star Trek movie. Um, So they come into dock and I don't know about you, but I love seeing like the Enterprise 
like docking in the starbase. It just looked really cool. Mm-hmm. And they had those like views from like the people inside the starbase as like, I the Enterprise passing by. Oh, wasn't that so great? Yeah, and you just see like this cool stuff out the window and people are just like, whatever, doop 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 doing their job because this is like not a new site. But I was like, ooh, ah, this is so yep. pretty. <laughs> agreed agreed it was really really cool um and i also like seeing the juxtaposition of the the starship which we know carries a contingent of like a thousand plus people so it's very Mm -hmm. large Mm -hmm. looking so tiny compared to the starbase i was Mm -hmm. like do a million people live on the starbase it's so cool like it's an entire i feel like the enterprise is like an entire city but the starbase i don't even know what the next thing up would be like i guess I guess. I don't know. I don't know. So as people are disembarking, we're seeing scant uniforms all over the place. Scants on men, scants on women. So we're we're still living with scants. So that's okay. something. Condolences. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Commander Quinteros comes aboard. And I love seeing the like tubes connecting to the Enterprise. And you see people yeah, walking the little, along. What is that called? The, the umbilicus or something? The tube that connects the ships to each other. I think that's what it's called. Anyway, we're getting way off track here. All right. So (laughs) we come aboard the Enterprise and Commander Quinteros has these two aliens, the Binars, and they're interconnected with the main computer on their home planet. That's how we find out like how they communicate. And, and their thought patterns and their language have come as close to binary code as like biological beings can get apparently, which I thought, that is super interesting because mm-hmm. in the eighties, you know, technology was just starting to kind of do that leap where it's like, we're starting to get computers and things like that. Like that really begs the question, like how connected are we to our technology? And this was, this, this episode came out in like 1988 at this point. So we didn't even have cell phones then, but now we have our iPhones. We've got, I mean, we're so interconnected. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think Sharice that we're too connected to our technology? Um, I personally don't. I see technology as a tool and it's just the newest version of tool. So before we had technology in the sense of computer chips, we still had technology doing the same exact things that those computer chips are now doing, right? So it's like if we have a a machine, a factory that like busts out cars, it used to be people who would make the cars, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I just think technology is a tool and that we are just using it like we would use a hammer or any other tool, um, to get our purposes done. I don't know. What do you okay. think? Um, I think that I like, I agree with you. I think it is a tool. And I mean, it sure is nice when I'm driving down the road and my iPhone is like, turn left at the next stop, whatever. Um, that is nice because I remember being a kid and my parents used to have, have to bust out the Thomas guide mm-hmm. and like map out the whole route first. Mm-hmm, because you can't look at the map while you're driving. You sure can't, but you can have a voice tell you, which is nice. But I also think that the flip side, though, is we are well aware. This isn't even a conspiracy theory. It's like we are well aware. It's well documented that, you know, phones and computers like track. They track us. They track what we buy in order to have targeted advertisement. Mm-hmm. They track where we go. Um, and I, I don't like that. However, I think that we are, we have just become so like dependent on our smartphones and our smart devices that we just willingly sign up to be like monitored. Yeah. Um, And like, and I don't really mind that because I'm like, okay, I just bought like a cozy blanket on Amazon. Like what, what are you really going to find out about me from there? But I also think that that, you like to be cozy. Yeah. That I like to be cozy. And that's, that's like whatever. Right. But when Facebook is 
having to testify in front of Congress that like you can't turn off the cameras and they can turn them on at will and like observe you. It's like, well, that's a problem. I don't that's fucking ridiculous. Like, I'm not cool with that. Yeah. And I and I would agree with you. Like all technology has its downside created by the person who created the technology or like the companies or whatever. Yeah. So I think that all of technology is a tool, unlike a hammer, you know, they can track us more easily with all this technology, but they're going to do it anyways. Well, I think that that's, I think that's the, that's the deal with the binars where they're saying like, there's a, there are a lot of advantages to Mm. being so connected with the computer and the other binars like, but there are some disadvantages too, because we find out later, you know, their computer has crashed and whatever, but, but it's the same thing. It's like, I use, I use a smart device, you know, I have an iPhone and I don't like that it tracks me, but I'm also accepting the fact that like, well, what are, what, like I weigh my options. Like, Mm -hmm. do I want do I want to use, continue using my phone and all the tools on there? Or do I care so much about being tracked that I'm going to get like, you know, a rotary phone and like cut off internet for my house and all that. It's like, no. Nah, so what do you, what do you do? At the end of the day, it's like, what do you do? You know? Um, but I did think that this binar interconnectedness with their technology, like it be- becomes dependent on their survival. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. And especially in the time that this episode um, came out. Mm-hmm. So, Okay. The Enterprise has docked. Picard says, good job, everybody. It'll be really nice to have some downtime. And I thought, well, absolutely. Because you guys have fought like 10 viruses, <laughs> died 20 times. <clears throat> in um, the big goodbye, they were trapped on the holodeck in a lethal situation. Like mm-hmm. there's been a couple of problems with the ship. Yeah, they've had some adventures. They could use a break. Yeah, they could use a break. So it was really nice to see just like some downtime. So we see... Tasha Yar and Worf going to play Precy Squares. Mm-hmm. And those outfits are amazing. They are so great. Does anybody know out there how Precy Squares is played? Like, does anybody actually dive into or does the show dive into like what the premise of the game is or like what is it? So here's what I know from my extensive watching of Star Trek stuff of TNG and Please then clue me in of Voyager because they're wearing like armor. <laughs> I was like, as what far are they doing? I know we never see 81 actually play Parisi squares but it does involve mallets it does involve some kind yeah it involves mallets and involves some kind of like boxing or something so it's a very physical super dangerous sport that um only very fit people play and that's what i know sign me up yeah sign me out (laughs) (laughs) i'm like dangerous did you say mallets all right let me get my blue unitard on and my like black spiky shoulder pad yeah. Those those outfits were amazing. Oh, they were so good. They were so I loved good. it. I loved it. So I had this little <laughs> I had this little moment that made me laugh. Um, Riker and Picard are in the turbo lift, and Picard is basically telling him, like, this is how I'm gonna kick back and relax. And he goes, I'm gonna sit in my chair and I'm gonna get a good book and I'm gonna put on my personal relaxation light. And the way he said it, I was like, personal relaxation, like Picard, you slut. Like he was just so like sexy the way he said it. Like, you are such a wild man, Picard. Slow down. Like it was like, man, you really know how to live, Picard. Like, yeah. yeah. And then Picard's and then Picard. And then Riker's like, I don't know how to schedule my downtime. And I was like, that sounds so weird coming from Riker because he becomes like the fun time party guy. I feel like, I mean, he's always serious about his job, Yeah. but the man knows how to relax Yes, he as the seasons move forward. Like he never has a second thought of like, what will I do with my downtime? Like, he's and always, it doesn't, mm-mm. it always includes a woman and it always. never includes a freaking personal relaxation light. Okay. No, no. <laughs> or a book. I don't, I don't know if Riker's a big reader. 
None of those things. None of those things. So the, the binars are starting to act suspicious. And who notices this? Wesley. To the rescue again. Again. <laughs> again. Okay. So we, we were he didn't say anything, this. though. And Riker actually did notice he was a little suspicious, too. Like Riker, He did. Riker did notice. But they were kind of like, uh, I don't know. Something's kind of iffy, but it's not too bad. Which, which I thought was strange, too, because we've never met this alien race. So we don't know what looks suspicious on them or not. Like, they might look suspicious by human standards, but that might be, you know. What I thought was strange was how he says, you know, he's like, Wesley, keep an eye on them. And I thought, if you think that they're kind of shady, again, why are we leaving Wesley in charge? Thank you. What All right. What? This is, this, is, this is where I arrived this morning as I was brushing my teeth, for those of you who are so interested. Mm-hmm. I went, if Wesley saves the ship one more goddamn time, I may explode. <laughs> because... Why is he being left in charge? Why is he being sent to go do like security detail? Why is he (laughs) saving the ship? Why? So here's what I came up with because I love a good cocktail. Um, We're going to make this a drinking game. (laughs) Every time Wesley has to be left in charge or report with some super critical information or, or go like collect someone where like Tasha should be doing that with her security team or saves the ship at the last second drink some just drink yeah because so get ready to have a lot of drinks <laughs> yeah have for me i don't know about you but for me if i have a little too much to drink the next morning i have to take alka-seltzer because it settles my stomach so have some alka-seltzer ready because you're gonna be drinking a lot <laughs> actually you know i i haven't even so if you if you start this game you have to go back to like episode one and then start the game because i don't know how many more episodes wesley comes and saves the day but i do know he's saved the day for like I feel like 80% of our episodes so we're far. In, we're in episode 14. He's probably saved the day like 12 times. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Yep. Um, and if you do create a drinking game, please post it on our Instagram, the TNG podcast, because I want to see this. I want to see your rules and I want to see whatever. But that's what I'm just going to do. I'm going to make a couple cocktails and <laughs> drink. <laughs> because I can't take this anymore. Also, I've never seen anybody do such a good job and be treated so poorly. Mm-hmm. The, the like toxicity on this job is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. For, for yeah, pressure. he should quit. Except for nobody works for money, anyways. So <laughs> also, there's nowhere to go. So yeah. you're just stuck. Yeah, anyway, fair. All right. So we also have this little cutaway of data practicing like pure creativity. Did you have any thoughts on that? I, I thought it was like weirdly out of place, but it's downtime. So I guess everybody's just. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see how you would think it's out of place, and yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, again, it's downtime. Um, I loved it because Data's painting becomes such a thing um, throughout the seasons and and then in the movies yeah. and on and on and on. Like Data's painting is is a big deal because he's an android. He's an artificial life form. He does not know how to access so many parts of humanity, but he's practicing creativity, which is a what we tend to think of as a purely human endeavor. Like it comes from a space of like your subconscious and Data doesn't have a subconscious as far as we know. Um, or does he? Dun, dun, dun. So I really liked it because I was like, oh, this is his first time. Like this scene is his first time actually painting. And then that becomes a recurring theme. Another thing that happens a little bit later on is we see Riker playing the trombone. And that's the first time 
mm. Riker playing, but that again becomes like a thing. It becomes Is a it thing the first that time. The first time. Oh, I love it. These like threads that get pulled mm-hmm. like throughout the series. You're right. You're right. I didn't think of Data's paintings like throughout the series, but you're right. He does paint a lot. And when, and usually when he's like lost and mm-hmm. needs like inspiration or not inspiration, but he's looking for answers in some mm-hmm. existential way. Or he he'll make paintings painting. for gifts for people. Yes, or he'll- you are right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Um, yeah. So I guess that, I guess that does make sense. And we do see the, the trombone with Riker. So that you're right. You're right. So Riker goes off to the holodeck and he creates this jazz club um, and he wants a place to play his music. Mm-hmm. And the binars basically create Minuet, which is this like sexy, sultry, like barfly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the bar or the holodeck, like the bar is set at like two o'clock in the morning. So it's like late at night and they're having this very sexy little time. Now, a cu- I had a couple of things. Number one, the dress that Minuet is wearing. And remember, they did like several iterations of mm-hmm. Minuet before mm-hmm. he was like, oh, that's the one I want. They're all wearing the same dress. And it is like... If you went to prom in 1988, mm-hmm. that is the dress that you wore. It was red and strapless and like scrunchy. And then it had like a bedazzled bow on it. Hmm. Did you notice that? And no, I was like, I didn't. dang, this is so freaking 80s. I can't even take it. Like, uh, if somebody could cosplay as Minuet, I would die. That would be amazing <laughs> because people would mistake her for Jessica Rabbit. Because I think that's the same outfit Jessica Rabbit wore in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think there's I think there's more cleavage. I never saw that movie, but I I do know like the character, like that there's way more cleavage. Like this is just kind of like a sweetheart neckline, mm-hmm. like strapless. But you know, I did think about the word of the day from the battle, which you said as bedangled, mm-hmm. which we decided was like halfway between bedazzled and dangling. Mm-hmm. Um, which we were talking about the ear curtains on the Ferengi, but I was like, this is kind of bedangled. It's like bedazzled. <laughs> it's not really hanging. It's not, yeah, it's not dangling, but I was like, dang, that bow is so, oh my God. It was so 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like the 80s exploded all over this girl and this is what came out. Mm-hmm. So um, he says that, you know, she, he asks her like, what's your name? And tell me you love jazz. And she goes, my name is Minuet and I love jazz, except Dixieland. Do you remember that? And, she, and he goes, well, why not Dixon? And mm-hmm. she goes, because you can't dance to it. And then he goes, my girl. And I went, ugh, ew. So, so I actually had some some issues before we even get to this part. Oh, please lay it on us. So first issue, minor point, but I think other people will agree with me. When he goes to, <laughs> because you have to, because it's my show. Um, <laughs> but when, <laughs> when he goes to, um, to like, before he goes into the holodeck and he's like, oh, I want this jazz club. He turns to the binars and he's like, all right, let's get some players. And he's like, let's get a drummer, someone on the bass, someone on the piano and get a bone for me. And then I was like, what the heck is he talking about? And then the trombone shows up. And I was Mm -hmm. like, how in the world would they know that him saying bone meant a trombone? First of all, that was like bizarre for me because I clearly don't play the bone because I didn't know that was what it was called. (laughs) So that was my first thing where I was like, I don't even think that's what it's called. I think that the writers were trying to sound cool. I don't know don't know but then the second thing that bothered me and this one was like more of a like a soft spot in my heart that always irritates me was um or it doesn't always irritate me it actually confuses me so when he's trying to pick the minuet that he wants right the first one shows up and she's blonde and he says blondes and jazz don't go together and so then the next one is like a redhead maybe and then the next yeah, one she's like a something. strawberry blonde i was like huh it, you kind of got another blonde but all right but here's the thing being I am a black woman and I never understand this all the time on TV and maybe in real life. I don't know, but white women are, there's these generalized statements based on their hair color, 
like blondes are this redheads are this brunettes are that, you know, like blondes are dumb or redheads are so passionate and fiery or whatever. And I'm like, what does it have to do with any, like, how did this stereotype even become created? I don't understand. It doesn't exist in my culture. We all have the same color hair. So that's not like a differentiator of what kind of a woman you are, but it just always like, it's just so bizarre to me. It's just so bizarre. So when I saw that again, I was like, what? And then he's like, ah, that's the one that's the kind, you know, a brunette is the one who goes with jazz or whatever. I was like, is this like a pair of shoes that goes with a good outfit? Like, is that what we think? I don't know. I don't I get it. Never I never considered it. that. I never considered that. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty olive skin and brown hair and brown eyes. So I always, you know, just think of myself, yeah, I'm a brunette, but I never thought of that. You're right. Because there are a lot of sayings and like predetermined beliefs about like, you know, like there's blonde jokes because people think, you know, or like at least 10 years ago or 20 years ago, blonde jokes or thing. Cause everybody's like, Oh, blondes are dumb. Or like blondes have more fun or redheads are fiery. You're right. But yeah, that's, you're right. Like I just always took that. I just took that as like a colloquialism, but yeah, it is, it is really dumb. It's really dumb. And I don't know where it came from, but it's super dumb. And when I saw this episode, I was just like, what? <laughs> and then like, and then he's like, okay, let me talk to you. And I was still like, what? I was still kind of stuck on like, what just, what just happened with these three women and them being judged by their hairstyle or their yep. hair color, actually. Their hair color. Something you can't, well, I guess something you can control because I have dyed my hair red, but. But then that's the thing is you're controlling it. So you fit into these predetermined little boxes of what yeah. your hair color. Means. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> All right. So the, so the binars see how quickly Riker starts perving on Minuet. And they're like, beep, boop, beep, boop. And then they like suspiciously run away, right? They they make some like adjustments and then they hurry off, leaving him in the holodeck. Mm-hmm. And w- having watched the episode all the way to the end, I wonder if what they were doing at the panel might have, I thought it was just, they were adding some enhancements, but I was like, oh, maybe they're turning off communication and then mm-hmm. hurrying off. That's because, probably exactly what they were doing. Yeah, right? So uh, we're back on the bridge and Wesley is watching the binars because he's been left in charge. And I wrote in all caps, why is Wesley left in charge again? Again. And, and you know, one thing I noticed, he's the only one who asks like intelligent questions to the mm-hmm. binars about them and their technology. Like mm-hmm. nobody else even bothers. They're like, cool, someone different. All right, get to work, boys, which are not boys. Right. Played by women and on the show have no gender. So it's like, eh. but why is Wesley the only one? Somebody just give him a starship already. Seriously. And I and I think everybody else, may, maybe this is it. Everyone's like, shore leave, woo! And they're just out. They're just like, peace out. Like the bridge is empty. I mean, Data's already painting. Jordy's overseeing the painting. He doesn't get to have shore leave of his own, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, right? and Wesley has nothing to do because he's a kid and kids don't have to have, don't get to have fun. They need to work. So <laughs> he's like working while everybody else is just like, shore leave, woo! But yeah, I don't know. But he does ask some really great questions. Yeah, he's the only one. He's the only one who does. Um, but then it's kind of just a little cutaway showing like, oh, I'm still, we're, the binars are still at work and Wesley is still at the helm, of course. So Riker is now playing the trombone and then he's dancing with Minuet. And he's he asks, how far can this relationship go? How real are you? And my head about exploded because I went, Riker, are you saying you want to have sex with a holographic character that's exactly what he's saying ah uh, this is problematic so we could dedicate an entire hour talking about hollow ethics which is what i've decided to name that um and we will actually we're going to do a special episode just mm-hmm. about hollow ethics so let's put a pin in that but picard walks in on them making out 
and he's totally unfazed. And I thought, wouldn't that be so effing awkward? Like if my husband came to the school that I teach at and we were making out in the classroom and then my boss walked in, like that would be so awkward. And Picard is just so like, he's so aloof. He's so aloof too. I mean, it's the same thing as back in episode one when Troy and Riker see each other for the first time and they haven't seen each other in like 10 years and they're like, it's you, it's you. And then, and then Picard's like, oh, so you know each other. Wonderful. Let's go down to work. You know, and he's just so aloof. I feel like this was that again, because he walks in, the two of them are making out hard and Picard's like, wow, what a beautiful setting. What pretty (laughs) ambiance. Listen to that music. Ooh, look at the ceiling. And he's all like looking at the floor tiles and the tapestries or whatever, you know, and you're like, um, Read the room, buddy. Read the room. Yes. Meanwhile, Riker is frantically trying to zip his pants back on or something. Right? And his mouth is covered in red lipstick. Yes. And and then, you know, so then Minuet's like, please come join us. And I'm thinking Riker is going to be like, actually, please don't join us. We were yes. right in the middle of something that I would like to finish. Actually, yes. I was yes. just about to tell all the other characters to like delete, be deleted. And like, we were about yeah. to do something different. Um, And <laughs> and Picard's just like, okay. And Riker's like, come on, let's have drinks. And then they're like making googly eyes at each other. Riker and Minuet are just like, you know, snuggling and holding hands and she's kissing his hands. She's wiping the lipstick off of his lips and all this stuff. And like, I was like, three is seriously a crowd. And Picard's still sitting there like, la, 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 la. Not not only that, but he is like just as intrigued in her programming as, as Riker is. Mm -hmm. And here, here's where I thought something was, (laughs) was, <laughs> it was, again, we're still sort of getting our bearings, like, with these characters, but I thought, number one, Riker would would never want Picard to see him, like, with, caught with his pants down, almost literally, mm-hmm. right? But Minuet speaks to Picard in French, and he was like, oh, this is incredible, and she said, when I heard your name, I just, I simply accessed the foreign language bank. So she knows that she's a holographic mm-hmm. character. She knows she's a hologram. Mm-hmm. But Riker, when she says that, Riker looks at Picard with his face like, isn't my computer-generated girlfriend hot? Like, he's mm-hmm. so, like, yeah. so impressed by her. And I'm like, you are impressed by a character who is specifically designed to impress you. So it's working. Yes, she is specifically designed to seduce you. And then you're impressed by her ability to fucking seduce you. Like, but wait a second. He didn't know how seductive she was going to be because the binars made her more than a program. Yeah, that's true. Well, Plus, yeah, I guess that's I did true. learn from uh, one of our super fans um, that TNG is when the, the first time that they started using holodecks like ever in the, in the Star Trek universe. So that's so cool that everything that they do in the holodeck in season one is them still figuring out what do we want the holodecks to do or be or look yeah. like? What are the rules? What are the parameters? So every yeah. time they're still kind of making it up as they go. I guess, yeah, I guess you're right about that. And this is what, the second time that they've been in a holodeck with characters? I guess so, yeah, because we see an encounter at Farpoint when Data is trying to whistle. Right, but there's no characters in that. Yeah, there's the big goodbye, which is that last character one. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and then there's this one. I think this is the third time we've really seen the holodeck. Um, So yeah, it's still very, very new. So they're, they're in there trapped without realizing it. And Wesley recognizes, of course, it's Wesley. He recognizes that something has gone wrong in main engineering. And he, he com badges, uh, data and Jordy mm-hmm. and they go down to mean engineering and they realize that there's something going on, like magnetic containment of the warp core or something has, is like breaking down mm-hmm. and they can't fix it. And the ship is going to explode. Mm-hmm. So here's a couple things that happen in quick succession. One data realizes he can't reach the captain 
or Commander Riker. And so I, I think they just assume that they're on the star base or something, mm-hmm. which well, they can, have to make a decision regardless. And he's the second officer. So yeah. he's in charge. Yes. So did you notice that the computer voice is yes. male? What the heck? Yep. Why do they have a male computer voice? And then at some point later in the episode, it's female again. It's Majel Barrett again. And then it goes back to being a male voice again. I, I was, was like, really, what? yeah, I was really weirded out by that. And I am so thankful that they don't do that anymore. I don't think. And that like that Majel Barrett gets to be the voice of the computer. I think it's really important that the computer's voice stays consistent because the computer is a character in the show. Like the computer is a character, has a personality of sorts. So yeah, I did yes. notice that later on when the male voice comes back and is like, the ship is going to be destroyed or whatever. And I was like, who is this dude? Yeah. Where did he come from? Why is anybody making a face? Like, this is weird. Right. He has a very, like the computer has a very booming male voice. And it actually reminds me of the Disneyland railroad. When you go to Disneyland in Anaheim in California, the railroad does the like all aboard or whatever. And it sounds to me almost identical. This like booming, Mm -hmm. deep, deep, deep voice. So I wonder if they had like a guest spot do that i don't know or maybe major barrett was sick and they had to get someone i have no idea Mm -hmm. if you know (laughs) why the computer voice is different in this episode seriously email us info at the tng podcast.com i really want to know because it's such a like incongruous like jump that doesn't make any sense it's weird and then and then we have the super cool moment where data says this is not a drill abandoned ship and i went ooh. Like I got so excited. Pretty sure this is the first time that they've abandoned ship. Yep. Yep. And, and so, I don't know how many times after this that they abandoned. That's not like a common move is abandoning ship. No, but it's, oh, it's so cool. Like, and the way that it's shot too, it's just data. And he's like, he is the authority figure now because they can't find Riker or Picard. And he's going abandoned ship. This is not a drill. And I went, oh, so cool. So cool. Um, So did you know, Sharice? I don't know if you caught this and I'm just going to throw you a quick question. We often joke that transporter room three is the only transporter room in the enterprise because that's the only one they ever use. They sometimes use two, but we never hear transporter room one, whatever. So the computer voice, which is male is directing people to the different transporter rooms, like decks one through five, go to transporter room, whatever. How many transporter rooms do they actually say? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I was focused on when they were doing that. As they were, you know, abandoning and people are running here and there and the kids trip in and all this stuff. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. Why do people even need to go to the transporter room? We have already established that we can do site to site transports. Whenever they have like a planet that's going to be destroyed, they just go, you know what? Just beam up 50 people, put them in the cargo bay, right? They just like beam up whole, you know, swaths of people. Yeah. And again, this is like, you know, this is again, early in the season. They're still trying to figure out what they can and can't do or what rules they want to have. And obviously this makes it more exciting, but I mean, if the whole ship's about to be destroyed in like three minutes and 10 seconds, can't you just push the button and transport everybody from everywhere directly on to the space station? So I was just like, this is dumb. So I wasn't even paying attention to how many transporter rooms they were saying. I was like, why are they going there anyways? Just do site to site. They don't, and also, yeah. And also since there's a time crunch, like the enterprise is going to explode in like two minutes and whatever, you have people lined up outside, which is silly right? as five people at a time transport off. Yeah. You just, need and they've to got something. people and then data's like, everyone will get off whatever way they can. People will go on foot. People will go on transporters. And I was like, people are going to be walking through the umbilicus. Cut that bad boy off. Like you have to make the ship like go away. So it doesn't yeah. blow up the whole space station. Yeah. Just mass transport, you know, transport everybody in one big swoop to some spot in that gigantic space station 
and then set the ship to go away. Like, I just feel like that was very inefficient for such a short time till imminent death. Yes, that was that's just true. Yeah, so you're anyways, abso- you're absolutely right. Let's answer to your trivia question. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise has at least, now the scene cut out while the number was still counting. Uh-huh. It counted at least 20 transporter rooms. Wow. I was like, the Enterprise has 20 transporter rooms? Why don't they ever say like, I'll be in transporter room 16. Like it's always <laughs> three or two. So 20 transporter rooms, which I feel like, man, that would take up a lot of space. Cause again, yeah, you're right. You could do site to site transport. So it's pointless, but I did think, Oh, that's kind of cool. It has 20 fucking transporter. Rooms. That is cool. And that gives you an idea of what else is going on on the ship. Cause we don't really see the whole ship. We see like lots of hallways and then we see very yes. specific places where dramatic things can happen. Like yes. the sick bay, the holodeck, yeah. the bridge, like that. So Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so the crew, so everybody's gotten off the ship now. And the crew wants to transport. Well, I'm sorry. Let me back this up. Tasha and Worf want to transport back to try to find the captain because they realize that the captain and Riker are not on the star base. And Quintero says, it's too late. The ship is almost clear. And they look out the window and the ship is kind of backing out. Right, which and is I so went, cool. I was and like... I went, And I went, yes, that is cool. But why the hell does that matter? Because you can transport at warp speed. This is not like a regular ship in the year 2020 where you have to like walk aboard. Why would that matter? Just transport on. Why would that matter at all? Like I could, I was thinking more nine. I was thinking more that there wasn't time, meaning like the ship was supposed to explode in like 41 seconds. So if they transported Ah. them on, they're not going to have time to search the ship, find the two of them and then transport back in 41 seconds. If they knew exactly where they were, then they wouldn't even need that. They would just go boop and just transport them out. But when they asked the computer, where were the captain and Riker? The computer was like, I don't know, right? Because they had blocked all the the holodeck or whatever, the binars had blocked it. Yeah. So I think that's more what he was saying is like 41 seconds is not enough time for you to actually find them. You're, you would just die as well. So mm. we can't really okay. risk that. Ah, because the way he had said it, I thought he, that, like, you can't transport on. The ship is already, like, backing away slowly. It's like, just transport. On. Okay. Um, so I think that this was actually brilliant um, plot writing um, because the Binars purposely kept Riker and Picard on the ship because they thought if their plan failed, they needed somebody who's non-Binar to, like, re-download the computer, right? To, like, mm-hmm. to Binus. This is brilliant. You're keeping the captain and the first officer on the ship to help out if your plan goes wrong. Um, but everybody else is off the ship. So I thought that was really cool. So Minuet kind of overplays her hand trying to keep Picard on the holodeck. And and Picard and Riker realize something is up. And they go to the – they leave the holodeck and realize it's totally empty. So they come back and yeah, they, they see the, the arch. the red alert immediately in the hallway. Yeah. And they're like, uh, Captain to Bridge? Captain to anybody? Hello? Yeah, captain to transporter hello? room 15, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically going the hello. So they come back to the arch in the holodeck and they ask the computer what's going on. And the computer voices female mm-hmm. and explains that they're on their way to Binus. They're not at the um, star base anymore. They're the only two people left on the ship. Um, I feel like me- this is the most helpful the computer has ever been. Like yes. the computer never gives you the whole synopsis. It's always like, command to command, right? Where you go, what happened? And it'll say, please specify. Where's the crew? Yes. They have abandoned ship. Why have they abandoned ship? Catastrophic failure. Has it, you know, like usually like yes. one, only one answer, but this time it was like, well, see what happened was in the beginning. <laughs> um, so like the binary came, right? But then it was just like telling the whole story. And I was like, what? <laughs> the computer doesn't do that. You're right. You're right. It gave us like the rundown. But it was more helpful that way. 
you know, the computer basically provided a cheat sheet, which was like, here's everything you need to know. And nothing. In case you just you came know, back from the computer from the commercial break before this scene, <laughs> the computer just caught you up on everything you need to know. <laughs> Absolutely everything. Oh my god, you're so right. So now Riker and Picard. So meanwhile, Data realizes that the binars are not at the base. Which? Why is he the only one to realize that they're under the command of Kinteros? And they're just like it could have been Wesley who discovered that. Oh my god! Yeah, you're right. L- luckily, Wesley's kind of a background player on the Starbase. So Riker and Picard march into this room and it zooms in on the sign and it says weapons room. And dun, I went, dun, yes, dun. yes, they're getting weapons. And then they go to main engineering to set auto destruct. And I went, Picard is not fucking about. Okay. His That's ship right. has been taken. They don't know where they're going. And he's about to blow this bad boy out of the water. Amazing. Do you notice that the table in main engineering has chairs mm-hmm. in this scene? Mm-hmm. I was like, chairs come from you never had chairs where did the where did this the auto destruct finger scanners come from those weren't there before either. you're right you're right I was you're like, right fingers are they scanning their fingerprints so here's the thing in a you're previous right they episode, do like a pad thing they do yeah where they like i don't know but um in a previous episode in um when in our review of the last outpost one of our special guests that day um Spencer was just like, you know, I was saying how Janeway on Voyager self-destructs the ship like every 10 seconds when someone tries to take it over or whatever. She's yeah. quick to be like, we're done. And and I was like, Picard doesn't do that. And and Spencer was like, he totally does. And I was like, I don't remember him ever doing that. And then here he does it. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Spencer was right. Spencer was right. So he's, Spencer was right. Willing, he is willing to auto-destruct. And that actually made my respect for Picard go just a little bit higher. Yeah. Because, and I already respect Picard, of course, but um, even though this first season, he's not super awesome yet. But I just love <laughs> that because it was like, yeah, it's like, we don't know what the heck is going on. We come out, it's red alert. The whole ship is empty and we're heading over to Binus. Let's get some weapons and we're going to blow this up because we're not letting any hostile alien force snatch our technology right I was like, right okay like that yeah i really respected that however i think that was a good call it was totally the the way that they did it was so interesting because by the time they get to voyager janeway she can just say out loud mm-hmm. self-destruct janeway alpha pi or whatever and it just goes self-destruct 10 seconds like it just does whatever and she can set the time like 10 minutes 10 seconds five minutes turn off the voice alarm whatever but here it was like an automatic five minutes countdown only and it needed Picard and Riker in order to activate and deactivate. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, how lucky are the binars that they happen to get Riker and Picard? Because their plan was to get Riker, but Picard was a bonus and they actually yes. need to do everything in pairs. So if they hadn't gotten Picard, he would have never been able to save Binus. Yeah, they wouldn't have been able to do it. So actually, you're right. <clears throat> that was actually a little bit of a, Nor- a, plot, a plot hole right there. Yeah, I was like, where like- would they have been able to self-destruct or like save the self-destruct because only Riker and Picard could have acted. Yeah, you so need to. like, what? Well, it's the same as like turning like the nuclear keys or whatever, right? We're right, like, and not everybody in- has those keys. Yeah, so exactly. So had it not been the two of them, it would have been a different scenario. Anyways, whatever. You're absolutely right about that. Um, So they do the finger pad, like auto-destruct. They set it for five minutes, which are like, okay, that's enough time to get to the bridge, whatever. They do the auto-destruct and the computer voice says, are you sure? You know, does does the first officer concur? And the voice of the computer is again male. <laughs> so it's so inconsistent. It was, it was really bugging me. So they concur and they beam into the bridge with, you know, phasers armed and ready. And they actually beam onto the bridge and find the four binars are kind of sitting together in a little square. And they're basically comatose or like near death. Mm-hmm. and they can't really get answers, and all it looks like is, um, save us. They're basically saying, just help us. Mm-hmm. 
So we realized pretty quickly that it's not a um, combative situation. Mm -hmm. It's a desperate situation, but, but they don't have to like, you know, it's not a shootout at the okay corral, like for the ship, like they Mm -hmm. just need help. Yeah. So they, they realize that they can't access, you know, they, they look at the computer panel and see all these like zeros and ones and like cool alien writing. And they're like, okay, we can't unlock this. We can't figure this out. So they go back to minuet for answers. Mm-hmm. And she says that a star in the binary system went supernova and the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse, knocked out their home computer. And they had known that the star was going to go supernova, but it went supernova like before they had planned. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't have a chance to like upload or download all of their like information. And these binaries like can't live without their computer system. They're, they're like fully integrated. So the enterprise has the biggest mobile computer in the universe, apparently. And so they transferred all their stored information onto the enterprise, hoping to take the enterprise to Binus and then re-download it all and like save everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had this like great thing that you said off, off mic, like before we started recording where you said when, you know, it, it was like a name that they needed to input into the computer to unlock all the data that they'd stored. And you said, then you thought the name was Minuet. I thought it was so obvious that it was Minuet. I was like, that's the name. I mean, who has a name like Minuet? I just was like, it's, that's obviously it for sure. And it was so not it at all. That was not at all the name. And um, <laughs> if it was left to me, we would have been in trouble. <laughs> but what they yeah, did, I, did, to find I did the not answer, think it was obvious. What they did to find the answer was Picard uses his comm badge to communicate back with the star base and to say, hey, we need an answer. And then data gives them the solution. But here's the thing. I was like, wait a minute. Since when do comm badges work over subspace like that? I mean, I guess it does when they like go to a planet and there's an away team or whatever. But I was just like, wait, so you could just be anywhere and just be like space station, whatever. And like, they just pick it up. Like, I thought it had to yeah. only go through the subspace communication channels with like the buttons on the computer. But it's like know. sending an email, basically. Yeah. Yeah, As opposed so, to like walkie talkieing. Yeah, I don't know. So that kind of yeah, I was kind of like, wait a minute. I thought I didn't know that the walkie talkies range was that far, but whatever. God, I didn't. I did not catch that. Good. That, catch. Was, that was in my notes where I was like, since when can they just be like super far away and then still use their com badges? But I don't know. Um, since now and then probably never again. But yeah, so I thought for sure the name was going to be Minuet because like that's the character that they created. That's the person they went to to get all their answers. And then data says, well, if it's a binary code, it's probably ones and zero, which I thought wasn't going to work. I thought that was, wasn't going to work and they were going to have to put a minuet. <laughs> I was like, so, <laughs> I <was> so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's all right. We're not, we're, we're not right every time. And you know what? Neither are the writers. So whatever. <laughs> They're often wrong. So it's okay. <laughs> um, so they end up figuring out that the code is actually concatenation of the four binars, one, one, zero, zero. One zero zero one. So they they put that in and like they've they've accessed all the files and they managed to send it back down to the main computer on Binus and all is all is restored. I thought I thought it was kind of funny how the um, binars ended up kind of standing up and being like, oh oh, it's they didn't even like come out of like a dr- deep sleep or like a they just kind of stood up and they were like beep boop beep boop. You know they were just back just, to normal. They booted back up. Yeah, they totally booted back. Yeah, computers are not groggy like we are. I guess. I guess. <laughs> Lucky for those computers. So I did you notice that Picard goes back to the con and he's the one he does his little yes. like finger wiggle yeah. and he's like, set cores for Starbase 74. Like I thought that was really cute. I love seeing Picard in these more elementary roles where it's like you're back to this like basic, like you're a you know, you're at the con again. I thought that was really sweet. Mm-hmm. R- Riker goes back to the holodeck and Minuet is not Minuet anymore. It's another brunette with a, Looks very, a lot like her. It does look a lot like her, um, 
but it's not her. And we find out that the binars have such advanced technology and like their computer, whatever, without all the binar like information stored on the computer that kind of like elevates the enterprise computer. Mm-hmm. The, the program just goes back to like super basic. So mm-hmm. she's gone. Exactly. Which to, to Riker's dismay, because he's clearly fallen in love with Minuet, which brought me to another question. This always happens on TV. I, and I sometimes hear about this in real life, this whole love at first sight thing. I personally have not experienced it. So I'm a little dubious um, Andre, you're happily married. Maybe you can have some, some, uh, some insights on this, but like, I am always like, what, when somebody meets somebody, like, keep in mind, like, I don't know how long he was chit-chatting with Minuet, but for a matter of maybe an hour, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he's just like, you know, this is, I'm so deeply in love with this woman. Is that even possible to have those kinds of intense feelings for someone you just met and don't know? And you've only had a few conversations uh, with over a drink. I think you can have like an ex- like extremely strong like attraction to someone right away. Um, like my husband and I have been married three years and we actually were kind of love at first sight. Like the, the evening that we met, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, this is like the best conversation I've ever had in my life. Like th- we're just like kind of clicking on all, on all counts. And mm-hmm. that was super cool. Um, and then on our first date, we were like five minutes into our first date. And I, I'm not even kidding that he was just talking about, I don't know, like where he grew up or whatever. And my, like I had this like jolt in my heart where I was like, I'm going to marry this guy. Holy shit. And of course my first thought was do not say that out loud. (laughs) (laughs) I've had people tell me a little too soon that they're like, I have these crazy feelings for you. And I'm like, Ooh, get away, get away. Right. Yeah. Like like five minutes into the first date, for example. Yes. It's like, (laughs) if if the roles were reversed and he had that like gut feeling and said that to me, I'd be like, (laughs) okay, check please. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, there was something about it where I just like knew immediately I was like I am gonna spend the rest of my life with this guy and luckily I I was right but I was like don't say that shit out loud Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I think the love at first sight it's I think it's possible and I know people who have been married for like 50 years 60 years who are like oh it was love at first sight okay so possible so I think Riker has a like fierce and fiery attraction for this woman Mm -hmm. and she sort of like satisfies all of the things that he wants Mm -hmm. so I think he I think he definitely felt like real feelings and you know you mentioned the minuet thing kind of comes back Mm -hmm. another time Mm -hmm. yeah he definitely is always in love with minuet like in a future episode her her memory comes back in a really strong way and you're like wait he still likes that lady that was like from so long ago, but that I was mean, from season one. That was from I don't even remember what season it was from until watching rewatching this episode. Um, but I think I think you're right. You know, like you said earlier, she was designed to completely seduce him to satisfy all of his needs in a mm-hmm. mate and a companion. Mm-hmm. So once he noticed, like, there's this amazing, beautiful, incredible woman who satisfies all my needs of what I would want in a woman. Why wouldn't he feel strong feelings of attraction yeah. immediately? And why wouldn't she stick in his mind forever because she was a fantasy? Yeah, she was. Well, I think the thing that's disappointing for me is once Riker recognizes that she was basically created to trap him, he still wants to see her. Um, And I thought, no, no, because you just realized that all of that was a fabrication and a lie. Like, I'd be like, wow, that was a lovely little fantasy to live in. But now that you know it was a lie, like, I'm no longer interested. Like, I could be sad that it's, like, over. But I wouldn't be, like, rushing back to the holodeck for that. Right. To like continue living in a lie. Well, but I think that's the beauty of the holodeck is it gives you the ability to continue to live in lies. And that's what we're going to talk about when we do our special discussion about hollow ethics, which is why people have hollow addiction is because Mm -hmm. you have the ability to live in a lie, which is so much more pleasant sometimes than reality. 
Oh, definitely. Well, that's where the episode wraps up. Everything sort of goes back to normal as usual. Do you have any final thoughts on like where we're, you know, what we saw, where we're at? Yeah. One thing I thought after I finished watching the episode and taking notes and stuff is I thought, wow, I really didn't hate this episode. And that was awesome. I mean, it's not like I hate all the other episodes, but some of them like I super hate. Um, (laughs) And then some of them I'm pretty neutral. And then some of them like, oh, that was just dumb or whatever. And some of them are like, oh, this one's actually okay. But this episode, I was like, I seriously don't hate this. Like there's nothing about this episode that I hate. There's some questions I have about a few parts, but I just thought it was clean, easy, neat, like great storyline, exciting, but not in a ridiculous way. Yeah, I, I really I mean, it. I'll, I'll, I'll go you one further. Like, I loved this episode. This episode to me felt like it could have been in season three or four or five, like mm, any of the yeah, like seasons, right. anything past like season two. two and a half or so. Like, you know, season two gets better, but season three and four is where it's really, really good. This episode could have been popped into like season four and I wouldn't have known any different other than like the uniforms were a bit different, but it was a great season. And so we went from this like really, really, really strong episode, this like fantastic episode. And then next week we're doing one of the worst episodes (laughs) in all of season one. So So bad that I didn't even remember it when Andrea was describing it to me. (laughs) And I have a vague recollection of almost all of the season one, but like I never rewatch it. Right. Um, And then some of the episodes I'm like, oh, I really like this one. I watch those ones over and over. But when Andrea was describing this to me, I was like blank, totally blank. I don't recall this episode existing. So (laughs) that shows you something. So you guys, if you're thinking that things are starting to get really good, think again. I'm sorry to don't get too comfortable because it's going to get really bumpy and rough again, (laughs) but we love you for sticking with us. (laughs) So, all right. So next week we're doing season one, episode 15, too short a season. Um, Charisse, I say this every time, but I love geeking out with you about this stuff. I don't know anybody else who's going to sit here and talk to me for an hour about the intricacies of a single Star Trek episode. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.